Good morning. How are you, church? Um, yeah, like Jean said, it's a wow. It's a hard act to follow. Um, you know, when you you see those images, you know, images are powerful, right? Just like she said, you know, if you can take the time, take a picture, put it on the letter, so the children can actually see who is sending them this gift. And, uh, yeah, in that same vein, when you, when you see those visuals, when you see the video of all these children, you know, different, different parts of the world and how they're so affected by this box, right? And on the surface, obviously, it's the things that are inside the box. Many of these children are underprivileged and have not even a quarter of the resources we have. So them getting these little these things, these trinkets, these, these, uh, some, in some, some instances, toys, obviously a lot of the stuff is just resources, necessity, things they need, but then they get the real gift, which is the gift of the gospel, the gift of Jesus Christ being taught that you're a child of God and God wants a relationship with you. You, you just need to be redeemed. You need to come to, to know who Jesus is and receive him in your, in your heart. And, um, you know, those lives are being transformed. It's a, it's, that's how deep the gospel is, right? The gospel penetrates. And, and there was something, you know, uh, I, think, uh, I think it must have been Franklin Graham who was narrating. And he said, you know, these, these children are not ashamed of the gospel. They're not ashamed. They're not ashamed to speak out about Jesus in love. They, you know, obviously a, a child they're very impressionable, right? As we get older, we kind of grow callous and we have scars from whatever experiences we've gone through and we're, we're very hesitant or we're very standoffish. But those children, they're willing to share Christ with whoever. And they live in areas where you get your head cut off. You start talking about Jesus Christ. You see, we need some of that to rub off over here where we still have civil liberties. We still have the freedom to go out and say whatever we want to say. Because in our country, everybody's talking. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody's willing to voice their opinion. Christians in this country need to continue to have that revival in, in our own hearts so that we may stand oops, alongside our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world and have that same vigor, have that same boldness to share right and again it's obviously in our sphere of influence maybe we're not called to go you know to south america but you're called in your family you're called on your job you're called in your neighborhood you know and these are the things that we need to take serious because uh as michelle alluded to right uh, earlier it's heaven <laughs> with jesus christ or it's hell apart from him. That there's just no two ways about it. And I get it, you know. Um, there's all kind of little fuzzy stuff and fun stuff along the way. But at the end of the day, we always need to make that assessment and, and, and ask ourselves the question, what are we doing for the kingdom of God? Are we being led by the Holy Spirit to influence other people around us? And I just share all that. I'm kind of rambling right now. But that's, that's just what I get from seeing that video. You know, it gives me a hunger and a desire to do more and to continue on in where the Lord has me to reach people because it's just so important that people have the opportunity to 
get saved. Amen. All right. Um, I can not believe it, but we are actually going to get into the last book of Revelation this morning. Uh, excuse me, the last chapter of the book of Revelation this morning. That would be something else, wouldn't it? Uh, but we're, we're in uh, Revelation chapter 22. And uh, wow, it's just, again, you know, the more and more I'm allowed the privilege to study God's word and hear from the Lord and, and, and see what the scripture is saying. Again, it all comes back full circle. It's all about Jesus Christ. All these things, all the details are just the details, but the main point is Christ. The main point is his redemptive work in our lives. Uh, the main point is having an eternal perspective because, God bless you, grown man sneeze. <laughs> He's who we're going to be with for eternity. You know, so we, we need to get in, in the game, so to speak, and be engaged now. It's very hard to fathom eternity if all we're looking at is the world right now. If all we're looking at is physical things and we don't have a spiritual grasp, we don't have a, a perspective on eternal things. And, and I, I believe that this portion of scripture will again bring to life this reality of there's so much more beyond this world. And, and that holds us accountable to make wise decisions now because the decisions we make now are going to have an eternal consequence, whether bad or good, uh, in what we do now and who we choose to live for now. Do we choose to live for Jesus Christ and for His kingdom here on earth, or are we choosing to live for our own lives and our own kingdom in this world? We all know how both are going to end, so we'd be wise to choose life. Amen? So with that, we'll be in Revelation chapter 22. Uh, we're going to be going through verses 1 through 5 this morning. And uh, this message is entitled, The River of Life. Once again, Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. And when you get there, if you could stand for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> and it reads, starting in verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Verse 3, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp, no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just come before you again and we're humbled by the fact that you allow us to... Uh, Understand these truths, Lord. We pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Show us through uh, the power of the Holy Spirit what this scripture means and how we can be affected by this today, Lord, to have an eternal perspective. Father, give us the ability to live for you each and every moment of life. May we see the seriousness of eternity, Lord, and uh, how you've given us uh, 
breath, Lord, so that we could be used to reflect the love of Christ to those around us today. So again, Father, may you receive all honor and glory for you're the only one worthy to receive such uh, praise. And we thank you and love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So last week we, we looked at the New Jerusalem. We looked at uh, what is the New Jerusalem, uh, who created it, what's it constructed of, where does it come from, right? We learned about it, it comes down from heaven. It comes down from the hand of God. It's created by God Almighty, the one and true living God. It was created as a dwelling place for His people, His saints, the church and the, the remnant of Israel. Uh, it was made for these people forever. This will be the eternal dwelling place of every believer that's ever lived on the face of the earth. We were given a sneak peek of the actual specs of the holy city and what materials it will be constructed with. But most importantly, uh, with all that, 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 that greatness and all the, 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 the stones and, and you know, talking about the, the street uh, you know, paved with gold looking uh, clear, uh, you know, clear gold. That's just, that, that'll boggle your mind, right? right? Solid gold, but the gold is clear. All of that was really trying to convey the important reminder, again, of how majestic, how, how mighty, how holy and set apart, how creative the Lord God Almighty is. That's, that's what the construct of the New Jerusalem is supposed to convey to the reader, to the believer, to the person, to the man or the woman or child who is a follower of Jesus Christ. When we get these images through the, the, the depiction of Scripture... It's showing us the majesty of how great he is. And it's just, again, it's stuff that I, I, can't even, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around. It's something that, again, we will just, we'll be immersed in it when we're a part of it in that present time. But it's just, it's a trip to, to, to get these descriptions and it just makes your mind just begin to fathom, again, the greatness of, of God. Much like just your own salvation, right? The fact that you can call yourself saved today, that is a miracle from God. There's no way you and I could be saved in and of ourselves. It had to take the supernatural act of a third-party agent, which was the Holy Spirit, which was Jesus Christ, going to the cross, laying his life down, taking it back up, and then God the Father deeming it so that he was going to redeem you. And that's just a beautiful thing. It's just a, it's, it's a mystery of God how an individual gets saved, right? We, we, we can understand it intellectually, but the supernatural act of the quickening of one's spirit and, and, and your spirit acknowledging the Holy Spirit and, and you having the ability through His power to recognize that you are a sinner and you be convicted of that and you respond in the way that doesn't say, oh, well, I don't care about conviction, I don't feel it. You actually respond, you're like, well, you're broken, right? Just think about when you were converted. How were you? You weren't smiling. I know I can I could bet every dollar I own that you were not smiling. You were broken. You were crying. You were crying out to the Lord. But it's in that. It's that supernatural act of that brokenness that allowed the Lord to come into your life and be be the king that he needs to be in your life. And that's a, just, a, again, that the complexity of that is, is similar to what, I'm, what, what the scripture was talking about last week about the New Jerusalem. It's just, again, we can't exhaust the Bible. How dare anyone ever try to act as if, they, you know, the Bible's outdated. You know, I hear that a lot. Oh, yeah, we don't do that anymore. Oh, what? I don't understand why certain groups of people call themselves progressive. It's like you're not, 
progressive. You're actually degenerate. You're actually going backwards. You're actually going the wrong way. But, but, in, but in, their, in their humanistic thinking, in, 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 in their pride, they, they like to think of themselves as they're actually doing something with some kind of forethought. Forethought into hell, unfortunately. Today we will get an even deeper grasp into the true meaning of life and our identity being found exclusively in Jesus Christ. Again, this is the crux of every message in the, in the Word of God. Uh, this, this, is, this is at the heart of, of, of Christianity, true Christianity, is that your life is found in Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, you have no life. I have no life. We have several main points, and the first one is just that. <laughs> the entirety... The entirety of life itself comes from Jesus Christ. That's a big no-no for a lot of the world or the world today. You go out there proclaiming that, you're going to make all kind of enemies. You're going to have all kind of people coming down upon you for proclaiming that. But Jesus said these things would be so, so we need to take heart because he has overcome the world. Amen? So don't renege on what you know to be true in the word of God. Stand firm and bold upon his proclamation of truth and know that you have the blessed miracle of knowing the truth that all of life comes from Christ himself. You see, we need to go back to the beginning of God's word for this to click, for it to really take heart, for it to really take hold of you, for it to really make sense and you grasp what's going on here. Genesis 1.1 simply states that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I was told a very long time ago that if you struggle with that first verse, oh man, you're going to struggle with the entirety of the Bible. I wouldn't dare say just go ahead and close it and give up. But if you stumble, right, we know that Jesus Christ is that stumbling block for many people. They just, they just can't grasp it. They can't get to that place where they're like, I'm going to submit to acknowledge that you are who you say you are. They're like, no, 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 there's got to be some other way. You know, look at all the different world religions. Oh, there's got to be another way. Yeah, Jesus can be who he is, but I got I to gotta take part in it too. Don't I got to do something? Don't I got to bring good works? Uh, Michelle talked about it. I mean, what, what is your righteousness? What is my righteousness apart from Christ? It's a, I guess I shouldn't, I won't go there, but you know, it's, it's, it's filthy rag. It's a filthy rag. It's something that someone would discard and throw it in the waste. The, the, the most righteous work that you and I have ever done apart from Christ. It's just a filthy rag. So again, we see the need for Christ. We see the need for God the Father, for the Holy Spirit in our lives. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 adds detail to this, that God created all things through Jesus Christ. You know, there's some things that are just very plain as day. In the Word of God. I understand there's some things that are a mystery. There's some things that we don't necessarily fully grasp and understand. But there are many things in Scripture that are straightforward. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 is one of those 
that's very clear. That God the Father created all things through Jesus Christ. You see, the plain teaching of Scripture, therefore, is that Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe and everything in it. The cosmos, whatever you want to call it. The the fact that scientists know, they've come to the conclusion that the universe is ever-expanding. And the more that it expands as seconds and minutes and hours and months and all that go on, the less they really know. (laughs) That is the truth. A, A true scientists will tell you that and will admit that they won't ever dare say they figured out the universe because it's ever expanding well to me i'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer but that makes accurate sense to me since god is infinite and he's not a created being but he has created all things and eternity is real so okay i put two and two together it makes four right No wonder why the universe is ever expanding, because our Lord lives outside of that. He created it, and He created eternity to be what eternity is, that we wouldn't be bound by time. The mystery of the triune God is difficult to understand, yet it is one of the central doctrines revealed in Scripture. The fact that God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit exist co-inhabiting one another, separate in function, but equal in holiness, equal in deity. You see, there's no other world religion that that claims that at all. And and, and many people try to discredit that and say that that's not so, but, but the Bible says different. You see, in the Bible, both God the Father and Jesus Christ are called shepherd, judge, and savior. Both are called the pierced one in the same verse. All you have to do is go to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. It'll tell you that. I'll read it. And it says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. You see, Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God the Father having the same nature. There is no, there, there, there's no deviation from the two. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 tells us long ago, at many times in, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, capital S, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I mean, that's, again, there's no pulling punches here. I mean, it's, right? If you can read, and, well, I, I shouldn't say that because I'm learning that from Kalos's teacher. Very interesting. She says, many young children can read words, but comprehension is true understanding. If you just read words, but you don't comprehend in your mind what's going on, you're not a real reader. You see, Christian saints, we have to understand the word of God. 
This is where the power is. This is where it's unlocked in your life and in mine. It says it right there. It says it right there. Through his son, Jesus Christ, he appointed to be the heir of all things. Through him, he created this whole world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and he is the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds this whole universe. This little puny world we call earth, his footstool, he upholds it with his power. He made purification for sins so you and I don't have to walk in wretchedness and and wickedness anymore. We're clean, we're holy, we're set apart, we're righteous because we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us. You see, it's that, it's that revelation, it's that understanding of that just, that, just those two couple verses right there that should just make you sing and shout for joy in your heart. You know that you're liberated by Christ and Satan and his cronies and his horrible demon buddies can do nothing to you. He can't. He can't touch you. He can't touch you. The most he can do is, well, if you agree, can make you miserable. <laughs> Because you come into agreement with his misery and you fall out of agreement with what God's already told you. You're a champion in Christ. You're a victor in Christ. You're forgiven in Christ. You're made complete in him. I'm made complete in him. This is something we got to get deep, deep down in our heart of hearts. Because on those horrible, terrible days where it seems like the world is falling apart around you, it's this what you cling to that sustains you. He sustains you. We don't have to walk around in doom and in gloom. We can walk around victorious, knowing that we serve the only true and living God of all creation. Amen. Hallelujah. I'll say it. There is in some sense in which everything the Father does, the Son and the Holy Spirit also do and vice versa. This is, again, this is the mystery of the Trinity They are always perfect in agreement (laughs) in every moment. And all three are equal. But there's only one God. You see, I mean, I'm not even going to sit here up here and try to explain that. I can't explain it. I believe it (laughs) to the core of my being. But I'm not going to sit here and try to decipher and dissect and pick apart. That's where you get in. That's the real uh, this deception of the rabbit holes, right? We go down some of those rabbit trails, but, but that's something that you just want to stay away from. Just have the measure of faith that you have. You don't have to explain it all. You don't have, when you witness to someone, you don't have to have a 10-point uh, breakdown of, 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 of how the gospel is and how Jesus is. You don't got to do all that. You just got to share who Christ is to you, how you've seen him work in your life, and just leave it at that. God does that supernatural act. God will convert an unregenerated person. He will change the mind and the heart of someone who is defective. Right. That's not our job. And, and again, all those all those pointy things, they really just irritate people, especially if they don't know Christ. Well, who wants to do that? <laughs> we just want to love on people, man. And say, you know, what? Jesus loves you, man. Come come to church. You know, I've been inviting I've been inviting as many people as I can. They're not showing up. Hey, it's all good. But I know I'm doing my part. I'm setting the table. I'm being bold about it. I'm being sincere about it. I'm telling them, hey, man. It's going to be better than you hanging out watching football, trust me. And you'll still have time to watch football, right? Because fo- football is a billion, billion-dollar industry. They, it's on all weekend long. You know, give a little bit of time to the Lord and see what happens to your life. But this whole 
premise of them being in perfect harmony, all three separate in function but equal. You can find this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Again, these are, these are, these are plain statements that are very direct, but the implication is, is important for us to grasp. We have to understand what these sayings really truly mean. You see, knowing that Christ is God and he has all the attributes of, of God the Father helps us understand Jesus Christ as the creator. It helps us have a better understanding like, oh, okay, wow. Yeah, you, you, you do got it going on like that. You did, you did just speak and it was to be. That's why he, he, he said, be still. And, and, and the sea just calmed itself down in a hurry. They're like toilet water real quick. Maybe that was a horrible example. but <laughs> You know, toilet water still before you sit. <laughs> but it was still. Why? Because he just spoke. He's like, I created this whole thing. If I, if I, say, if I say whatever, it's going to happen. Because he's the one who holds all authority in his hand. And that's why it's so important for us to know him, know scripture, hide scripture in our hearts. And then when we get attacked, man, enemy, devil, cast you out in the name of Jesus Christ. What, use the scripture, whatever scripture comes to mind. And it's gone. Those demons have to flee. Remember, it's because you got the connection to the source. The source, he's the one. You speak the word on his authority and... It's manifested and it's done. That's why I love that verse. Perfect love casts out all fear. Oh, man. I use that verse 100 times a day, <laughs> you know, because it's the reality. That's how we fight our battles in this war we're in. They're, they're, they're not, it's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. We need to be girded up, insulated in truth always. John chapter 1, verse 1. Again, plain as day. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word, capital W, was with God, and the Word, again, capital W, was God. He's not trying to confuse the reader. He's trying to explain as simply as he can that Christ is God. <laughs> he, 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 he was God-made flesh for the sake of individuals so that we could be redeemed. If there was another way, obviously he's God. He would have made it another way, but there was no other way to redeem his creation other than sending his one and only son to live amongst his creation and give his life so that people could be saved. There are three very important things in this passage about Jesus and the Father. The first is this. Jesus Christ was in the beginning, so he was present at creation. He's not created. He lives outside of space and time, but he was present when all this was formed. When all this was made to be, he was there. He had existed eternally with God the Father. The second is this. Jesus Christ is distinct from God the Father. He was with God, capital G. So he's with him, but he still has the function. He still has the quality of being God as well. He just has a different function. And the third, Jesus Christ is the same as God, the Father in nature, because the text says he was God. You see, it's just, it's just mind-blowing. I, I just trip out. I'm like, man, thousands of years this was written? That's why when people try to say, well, man wrote the Bible. Okay, man was the instrument used to pen physically the Bible, but the word of God was not inspired by man. It was inspired by the 
by God. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon these men and they penned these sayings. How could someone come up with this? We're not smart enough. We're not sophisticated enough to come up with this, this whole elaborate thing to say, oh yeah, uh, yeah, you know, uh, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. We just, do, we just make up stuff like Harry Potter. You know, I'm just keeping it real. I'm so, hopefully there's not Harry Potter fans up in here, but, you know, I am poking fun. That's what we come up with, you know. But this is God-breathed. This isn't, this, isn't, this isn't Harry Potter. This isn't some whimsical, made-up, theatrical story of witches and wizardry and demonic occult nonsense. No, this is the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed. I, I read this a minute ago. Heirs of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Christ is the agent of God's creation. The world was created through him. The Father and the Son have two different distinct functions in creation, yet work together to bring about the universe. This is beautiful stuff. This is great. The Apostle Paul reiterates this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, when he says, But, excuse me, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things have come and through whom we live. So, I mean, there's so many examples. I mean, there's just, you cannot, you can't exasperate how much the Bible expresses the fact that Jesus Christ and God the Father are one. Obviously, the Holy Spirit's in there as well. And that everything was created through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, again, uh, if you read Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it just goes on, and goes on and says that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And he was also an agent in creation. You, know, you see, since the Hebrew word for spirit is often translated as wind or breath, we can see the activity of all three persons of the Trinity in one verse. In Psalm chapter 33, verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Again, well... I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like the breath, like we're thinking like Listerine, make your breath smell fresh. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. He spoke it and it came to be. Again, I'm not the smartest person around, but I understand that this is real and this is true. After a thorough study of scripture, like a Berean, right? Somebody who examines the scriptures to see what they actually mean. I truly believe and what the Lord has revealed to me that we can conclude that God the Father is the creator and he created through Jesus Christ, his son, all of creation. That, I, I, I don't see any deviation from this. This is the scripture is clear. And this is why Jesus Christ is the central figure when it comes to redemption in the Bible, in the life of every person. You cannot get saved through doing a, whole, uh, a Hail Mary. You can't get saved by going to the priest. You can't get saved by chakra or whatever. You can't get saved by all these other deities because they do not work. They do not resurrect. They do not create life. They are created. I'm not going to a creation. I'm going to the creator. That's where you and I should want to go. And we have unhindered access through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can go directly 
to the source anytime, any day. And by the way, he's already pursuing you. He's with you, right? We live in the present age where the body is the temple of the living God. So he's indwelling in you. Isn't that amazing? Like we can forget the presence of the Lord. How many times throughout the day have you forgot that the presence of the Lord is actually living inside of you? I know what happens to me. I'm like, oh, I'm just going about my day. And then I have to be reminded that, you know, uh, you know, my presence is in you. <laughs> I'm right here. Not only am I omnipresent, but I'm literally right inside of you. Like I'm the one that's facilitating you and helping you make wise choices. I'm giving you the ability to not have a hard heart when you got to do something difficult and say, oh, yeah, you know what? I better do the right thing <laughs> and straighten up my attitude while I go ahead and do it. Who do you think is doing that? It is the presence of God himself in you. Man, that's just mind blowing. But yet the world and Satan will do everything that he can to tell you that it's not real. <laughs> That first of all, that he's not real. And second of all, oh, yeah, you know, that old, that old Bible stuff. Don't live like that. You don't got to wait till you're married to have sex. Everybody's having sex. Just do it. It's not a big deal. You're not condemned. You want to be blessed. <laughs> I don't know why I use that example. But I'm just saying, right? Because that, that, that's the way our world is now. Just do whatever. It's all good. We're all going to be held accountable. You want to be on the side of righteousness when it all goes down. Because when this earth gets shaken up, and it will get shaken up, it's who you are clinging on to that's going to determine if you're going to be standing when it's all said and done. Amen? The second main point is this. The living water, Jesus Christ, is the only one who can truly heal you and make you whole. Again, this, I, I'm not, I have no regrets. This message is all about Christ. Every message should be all about Christ. But for sure, this is what the Lord has been showing me all week long. Verse 2 tells us that the river of living water flows through the new Jerusalem, bringing healing to the nations. Well, what does this mean? What does this mean? The, the river in the new Jerusalem flows down the city's main street. Now, I don't know for sure, but it may divide and flow around the tree of life. Or perhaps it's a row of trees that are on the river on each side that produce 12 kinds of fruit, different fruit for each month. I can't claim that I know the exact location for sure, but I do know that there is a great meaning attached to the use of trees here or the use of a tree here. This evokes the image of the Garden of Eden where God had originally placed mankind and the tree of life. The leaves of this tree possess uh, medicinal properties that benefit the nations. If this depiction includes part of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, then earth's regenerate, regenerated rulers likely shudder or go back to the new Jerusalem to acquire these leaves and carry them back to the earth. I say that because we know that it talks about in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 20, it indicates that a person who dies at the age of 100 during the millennium or during the thousand year reign is young. And we know, I mean, maybe, maybe if you're blessed, you're going to live to around that time. But, you know, uh, people are dropping off a lot quicker nowadays. They're not making it to 100. They're not making it to those triple digit numbers. But we know in the millennium, it's going to be different. Remember, early on in human history, long lifespans were a thing. 
It was like that. It was the norm. In Genesis chapter 5, you can read about that. But the advancement of, of sin in the human race and the curse that was put on mankind reduced our life expectancy. Could you imagine living for like 300 years? That's crazy. You know, I don't think you would gray at the rate you gray. But, you know, and, and it's crazy. Nowadays, we're like, no, no carbs, no carbs, plant-based diet, this and that. I get it. But you know what? Again, it's trying to live forever here when that's just not the reality. You should take care of your body. Don't obsess over it because it's like, why am I going to be miserable? If you want the Twinkie, eat the Twinkie. It's okay. It's okay. Just don't eat the whole box in one sitting. All right? Just, just moderation and, and you're all good. And you're all good. You see, in eternity, of course, there'll be no longer any death at all. So this is a beautiful thing to know that we're entering into a period uh, when that time comes where, again, we're going to be eternal. We're not going to be dealing with joint issues. We're not going to be dealing with, I have to get this surgery. We're not going to be dealing with, man, my back aches. Uh, I got plantar fasciitis. Every time I get up in the middle of the night, my, my, <laughs> my feet hurt. You're not dealing with that anymore. You're not dealing with organ issues. All that's going to be a thing of the past. That's for the believer Again, another benefit alongside of obviously knowing Jesus Christ of being his is that you're going to have a glorified body where there's going to be no sickness, no death, no pain, no, no hurting. It's just going to be a joyous thing forever and ever. All right, the third main point is this. I'm taking a long time on these main points. No need of a physical sun or moon because the fact is the Lord Jesus Christ is perfect. He's infallible. And all who submit to his commands will lack no good thing. Once again, the Apostle John reports that night will not exist in the eternal city. There's no need for lamps or sunlight because the Lord God is the city source of light. Again, ancient cities back way back when, they only had fire to create light. So it made it difficult to drive out the night in the darkness. It was hard to do things at nighttime because they didn't have the light. And, you know, we obviously know we have a lot of issues with PG&E and blackouts and all the things that go on with our current system. Um, praise God that we have electricity, but there's many issues with the electricity. But we're not going to be disrupted by any blackouts in heaven. Um, we'll, we'll rejoice every day for him being the light and us being able to take part in that light, being a part of him in heaven. You see... We have to understand that we will reign forever and ever with God in heaven. Um, at the beginning of human history, right, when you go back to the accounts of Genesis, God placed Adam over the created earth. Adam's, was respon Adam's responsibility, excuse me, was to rule the planet earth as God's steward. That's what he was supposed to do. But his failure to obey God's commands led to sin. He ate from the fruit uh, right, uh, the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and, and then the, the earth was cursed, and mankind was cursed. When God created the new heaven and the new earth, he gives redeemed mankind the privilege of ruling with Christ again over all of his creation. And even Timothy was encouraged by Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. He says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Speaking of, we're going to reign with Christ if we endure to the end, right? It's through much tribulation that the saints enter the kingdom of heaven. So just have the eternal perspective. Keep your perspective on, you know, one day I'm going to reign with Christ. One day I'm going to reign with Christ for eternity. So help me to be a good steward of what you've put me in charge of in this life, in this earth, and help me to do it well. Amen?
All right, let's go ahead and break down these verses, then I won't take too long, I promise. Lou's like, eh? <laughs> All right, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, and bright as a crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Again, we see this statement, a pure river of water of life. Now, again, we got to go back to the Old Testament to get a good sense of all this, because the Old Testament prophets used the picture of a river as a powerful expression of richness, provision, and peace. Isaiah chapter 48 verse 18 tells us, Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 8 also tells us, On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the east Eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. Also, for your own time, if you want to read about that, you can check out Isaiah chapter 47, verses 1 through 9. It talks about it. Um, Psalm chapter 46, verses 4 through 6, also support this idea. It says, There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle, of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall keep, shall help her, excuse me, just at the break of dawn. The application is simply this. One of the greatest things on earth is water. The, 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 the resource of water, the refreshment of water, the necessity of water. Nothing physically in all of the world is more precious to us than water. It makes me think, um, you know, those uh, we have Disney Plus, and so sometimes um, my kids like to watch those old-time cartoons, right, from like 1934 and all that. And uh, we were watching King Midas the other day, and it's like, King Midas, <laughs> he, he's like, I could turn everything to gold. All he wanted was the gold. And he said, ding, the rose is turned to 18 karat gold. Ding, he touched his tooth, his tooth turned to gold. Then he goes to eat <laughs> a feast. and <laughs> He goes to get that big, fat chicken. And what happens? That chicken turns to gold. He bites it and he hurts his tooth. He tries to drink. The water turns to coins of gold. You see, when we look at things from a physical standpoint only, we fail to realize that all of this stuff is not really all that important. We need something so much more. And in a physical sense, water is one of the most important things that we need. An example of this is the body requires a lot of water to maintain an, eternal, um, and an internal temperature balance to keep our cells alive. That's just how God created us. In general, a person, a healthy person, can survive for about three days without water. And after that, forget about it. You're up the creek. You're going to shrivel up. Your organs are going to just suck themselves dry and you're going to end up wheezing to death. That's just what it is because you need water. I need water to survive. When we look at this spiritually speaking, Jesus Christ himself is that living water. John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I mean, Jesus said it himself. He said, I am that water. Come drink. Remember the, 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 the Samaritan woman at the, at the well? 
He told her the same thing. Come drink from me. You'll never have to come back to this well to fetch water because you're going to have that eternal water that's going to be able to keep you going regardless. Your spirit is going to be refreshed. You see, I would never intentionally test the Holy Spirit by deliberately not drinking from Jesus Christ for three days. I, I, don't, I don't go a day without reading the Word of God. You'd be like, you better not. Well, even if I wasn't a pastor, there, there, there was years way before this where it was an everyday thing, not out of ritual, not out of some obligation, because this is what the Lord was doing in my heart. I needed to grow closer to Him. I wanted to grow closer to Him. How can I grow closer to God if I'm not in His Word? How can I, how can I build and produce, uh, have a, a, a relationship with Him, grow intimately and be produced within my life if I'm not drawing closer to Him? So you see, we need this. All I know is, if you stay away from God, the drier your, your life is spiritually until you become spiritually dead. If I go three days without being in God's word, I'm going to be like, I can't teach. I can't teach. I can't. There's just no way. There's just, there's, you can't fake it. You can't just do whatever you want during the week and then be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to show up Sunday and it's going to be all good. Yeah, right. The people that work with the children's ministry, they know that. If you're not living a life consecrated to Jesus Christ, how are you going to tell the kids? The kids going to know for sure. <laughs> the person don't know what they're talking about. Get out of my face. I'm going to go act a fool because this person does not, does not have the Holy Spirit. They're not submitted to the Holy Spirit. You know, you working with kids in the youth ministry and, and the, the bigger kids, you know, teenagers, they, they're already coming with, with a chip on their shoulder. And if you're not living for the Lord, if you're not consecrated to him, how are you going to tell them the truth? When they're already questioning everything, it doesn't work like that. But Jesus Christ is that living water. We need him every day, throughout the day. How many times do you guys drink water throughout the day? That's how much we need Jesus. I'm not saying you necessarily got to be doing an in-depth study every second of the day, but you better have Christ on the brain. <laughs> what else? If we don't have Christ on our minds, what do we have? Our own desires, our own evil desires, things that are not right, things that are not good. But you see, the more we walk with Christ, the more he converts our desires to things that would honor him. And you just start flowing, living a lifestyle of devotion to him. And it becomes something that you enjoy. It's not a drudge. You're not like, oh, really? I really got to go to a prayer group. Oh, I can't stand it, bro. I got to watch a football game. I don't. I want to watch a warrior. No, it's like, you know, the, whatever. Steph Curry going to do what Steph Curry does. I'm not tripping. I'm not invested in that like that. Like, it's cool to watch, but it's not that deep to me because I'm like, no, I want to meet with my brothers, fellowship. I want I want to talk about real stuff. I want to be ministered to myself, get encouraged. And, and that's what walking with the Lord is all about. You see, it's the greatest thing to walk with Jesus Christ. How, how drier and how fragile and how weak is your life when you're not walking with them? It's like your life sucks. You just be broken like some, some dried up hay and straw. Just crackle and it's, not, it's no good. You want to be full of life and vibrant. And you get that from the living water who's Jesus Christ. You see, our joy is completely wrapped up in the living water who is Jesus Christ. We see this statement clear as crystal. You see, God's provision in the New Jerusalem is described with pure, absolutely unpolluted waters. None of this reverse osmosis and all this nonsense we try to do here on earth. Its waters are literal waters of a nature and a quality that belong to the golden city of the New Jerusalem. Here on earth, we have never known such waters. 
my wife, don't put me on blast. I will share it. <laughs> she likes the Milpitas tap water. <laughs> she said, it tastes good. I, I, uh, uh, all right. I digress. <laughs> but she's like, it tastes good. The, these waters in the New Jerusalem are not going to be Milpitas waters. And I'm not bagging on Milpitas. I'm just saying it ain't going to be like that. It's going to be on a whole nother level. You see? And again, the believer is the one who's going to experience this refreshment coming from this river in the holy city. Next, we see this statement from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The river is provision, and its provision, excuse me, come right from the throne of God. I mean, it comes directly from the king. The application is this. Because it comes from God, it cannot be anything other than pure and abundant Ezekiel saw a glorious river in Ezekiel chapter 47 that flowed down from the temple into Jerusalem and into the sea. But that river belongs to the millennial earth. It is perhaps a preview of this heavenly river. But this is a better river with better trees, even better than the Garden of Eden. As great as the Garden of Eden was in the beginning of, of human history, this supersedes it by an, uh, you know, an un 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 unamountable uh, statement. It's just, it's going to be far greater. All right. Verse two, it says through the middle of the city, excuse me, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kind of fruits, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Okay. The tree of life. The Bible begins with the tree of life. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, I'll read it for the sake of context. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from it which he was taken. He drove out the man... And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Remember, Adam and Eve were given specific instructions. You can eat anything. I would have been all about that watermelon. <laughs> watermelon, cantaloupe, strawberries. You can eat anything. Just don't eat from that one tree. Now we see the tree of life again. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river. Now, again, I'm, I'm not claiming to be an expert on this. It's a little hard to picture this heavenly landscape. Um, the Apostle John may have been describing a large street with a river flowing down the middle and a large tree or a series of trees that grow with roots on either side of the river. Some Bible scholars think that this visual picture represents that the river of life flows through the middle of the city. And that the tree is a lar is a, has a large enough span to the river that the river is in the midst of the street and that the tree is on both sides of the river. Others see this word tree as more than one, as a collective reference, speaking of a row of trees. Um, here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. I'll just share that. I, re I regard um, the things that he speaks on because he was a godly man. He says he believes that a picture uh, presented in the, in the mind's eye would appear that that be on a wide street with the river flowing down the center, like some of the broader canals in Holland, for example, with trees growing on either side, all of them of the same kind, all called the tree of life. 
That's what he thinks. Either way, the application is this. Seeing the tree of life again points to the restoration of all things. Things being made right. Things being renewed. Things being fresh. Things being cured. That's what we see here. Everyone and everything will be in its proper order and place in the new Jerusalem. All of life will be restored to God's given order, the way that it was supposed to be. You see, right now our world is completely out of order. (laughs) Our world is out of whack. Our world is is chaotic. Chaos everywhere you go. A little bit. Ooh, be careful. You bang your head. Man. (laughs) It's like my kids. (laughs) Chaos everywhere you turn. People have gone mad. But it won't be like this in the New Jerusalem. There'll be restoration, there'll be healing, there'll be order. We see each tree, next we see it says, yielding its own fruit every month. From all indications, this describes the world of the new heaven and the new earth, yet we are given time as an indicator. Apparently, heaven will still be marked by time, but not subject to it in the way we are here. Like, people aren't going to be tripping out like, dude, when's this service over? (laughs) I got... I want to watch that game or, man, I got to get out of work. I can't wait. I got three weeks off. We're not going to be tripping like that in heaven. We're not going to be bound by some Apple watch, some phone telling us, no, 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 no. Oh, got to take your pills. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be totally different. Our concept of time is not going to be the same. Some people wonder, are we going to eat in heaven? We're going to eat food. Are we going to eat? The best answer that I understand from what scripture says is you can If you want to, but you're not going to have to eat. You see, because you're going to be fulfilled in Christ. But we know that Jesus himself in his resurrected body, excuse me, he enjoyed food. Luke chapter 24 verses 41 down through 43 tells us, And while they still disbelieved for joy and marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Also in John chapter 21, verses 12 down through 14, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and, and with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, again, there's many instances also... Um, angels ate with Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, verses 6 through 8. You can read about that. So uh, this idea of eating, yes, it's, it's, it's very possible. Um, but it's not going to be a thing where you need to eat to sustain life. Uh, the great heavenly reunion between Jesus and his people is described as the marriage supper. That's in Revelation chapter 19. We read that about a month ago or something. Um, and though even though man fell by eating, right? Adam and Eve ate from the, 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 the fruit of the tree they were told not to. God will still allow us to eat in heaven. Just like the golden table of showbread that stood in the ancient tabernacle and temple for the priests to eat. In the same way, the tree of life stands in the golden streets of the New Jerusalem with its monthly fruit for immortal king priests of heaven. And you're going to be able to partake in that and so am I. It says, the leaves of the tree... Or for the healing of the nations. Well, why do the nations need healing? I thought everything was all good. Well, this is something we need to understand. This is super cool. In the ancient Greek language, the word for healing also means health giving. And this may be the sense of what the scripture is talking about here. The word for healing is uh, therapian, from which we get the English word therapeutic, right? We're all about 
that right now. People are all about therapeutics and blah, 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 and all this and that. But it, it's also almost directly translated from the Greek. Rather than meaning healing, it should be understood as health-giving, as the word in its root meaning has the idea of serving or ministering. So therapeutic really has nothing to do with your body. <laughs> it has to do with your soul. It has to do with the word of God healing your soul and the word being ministered to you and you minister to yourself through the word and you're able to be healed. That's super cool. When I heard that, I'm like, man, you see how Satan always loves to twist stuff. Therapeutic, therapeutic, make it all physical. Make it all physical, make it all mental, make it all emotional. But no, it has to do with your spirit, it has to do with your soul, it has to do with you being revived by the word of God. Streets, river, tree, fruit, leaves. Are these pictures of heaven literally or symbolically? It may be that we can't describe another dimension like heaven without using symbols, but they are symbols to be connected with reality. What the apostle John saw may or may not be exactly a river on earth, as we see it, but that's why he says it looks like a river. Again, we need to just take the word as what it says and understand that this is something that's going to be mind-blowing when we do experience it. Last two verses, 5 through 8, it says, No longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God, and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will be no need for light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Okay, nothing will be cursed anymore. The curse is gone. You see, since the fall of creation, man has had to live through the effects of the curse. For women, pain and childbearing. How did y'all like that? <laughs> but I mean, your children were worth it. Right. But that's the effects of sin. Man, can you believe it? If we would have never sinned, women would have been able to have babies and they wouldn't have had no pain. That's crazy. That's crazy. And then also in marriage, friction between the sexes, men and women. We just got issues. We got issues. But that's because of sin. The fall caused that to happen. You know, the woman would be gunning for the men. And then a lot of the men are way too passive. It's like, man, we need some of that. We need some of that get up that the women got. And don't let don't let your woman be the man in your marriage. Right. Be the man in your be the be the godly man in your marriage. You need to be we I need to be. Don't let your women take your your wife take that role. But that is because of the fall. We see that also the necessity of hard and often futile, uh, futile work for man to have sustenance. We are going to earn our keep by the sweat from our brow. Men got to work super hard. I'm not saying women don't work hard, but it's a curse on man. You're going to till the ground. Whatever you do, you're going to work super hard. Scott, messing up your hands, all that. Hey, that's part of the curse. Working hard to sustain for your family, right? But that's because of the curse. We all go through that. Daniel and everything that you do in, in, in teaching, uh, the toil of working with people that are just sometimes they're just like you're probably just beating your head against the wall. Like, don't you get it? People that don't pay attention, whatever. That's all the toil that we all go through. Every person in their work because of the fall. These aspects of the curse will even be present during the millennium, though they'll be greatly mitigated because of Christ, the perfect rule of Christ. Isaiah chapter 65 verse 20 shows us that it is still possible for a sinner to be accursed in the millennial earth. It says, no more shall there be in it, at, uh, be in it an 
excuse me, an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years shall he be accursed. You see, but in the new heaven and the new earth, it's all done away with forever. No more curse. Again, no more pain. Instead, the Lamb of God will be on the throne. That's quite an exchange. For this, eternal praises are due. This is why we honor and glorify him. This is why we, we shout. This is why we, you know, we express what we express and we're passionate about it. Have you, have you had conversations with people when you're passionate about the word of God? And it's not like you're trying to hammer it down into them, but just like you're exuding. Because like, maybe you're like, dude, I see where you're at. You're stuck, bro. I've been there, done that. I know the answer. All you got to do is trust in Christ. It's like I'm, I'm talking to people all the time and, I'm, and this is how I'm feeling because I'm like, I, I know what you need, but you got to submit. You have to want it. And people a lot of times are just like, they think it's cool, but they don't think it's cool enough to, to submit. We need to submit. That's where the victory is at. That's really where the victory is at. We know that he deserves to be praised because he gave his life so we could have eternal life. The application is this. The altar and the throne of God have become identical at this point in the New Jerusalem. From the throne, there will be no more fiery bolts thrown at people. But it is the Lamb of God. It is his throne. It is the throne of grace. And people will receive mercy unending for those who trust in him. Again, we see this statement, his servant shall serve him. Heaven will be a place of work and service for God's people. If you like work, if you enjoy your work, hopefully you're in a place now in your walk with God where you enjoy your work, where it's not toil, where you're not like, this job sucks. I hate this job. Hopefully you're in a place where you're like, I, I enjoy what I do and, and I do it well for the Lord to bring honor and glory to him because this is how it's going to be in heaven. You see, this is a picture of pure blessedness of service rather than painful, curse-staking toil. Heaven's not going to be a place of lazy leisure, but it's going to be a place of service done, centered on God. What is man's chief end? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that's what we're going to do in heaven. They shall see His face. Heaven will be a place where God's people see His face, a place of intimate, face-to-face -face fellowship with God. Moses was denied this privilege of seeing God face to face, but everyone in heaven will see him face to face. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 tells us, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul also anticipated excuse me, a great fulfillment of, of seeing God face to face in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. He says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. As uh, Isaiah and Michelle come up, I'll end with this last, this last statement, this last point. In the day of Jesus Christ, in the day that we come to see him face to face, we're not going to have blurred vision we're going to see Jesus clearly because sin is done away with. We're going to see Jesus clearly because we care and worry about nothing. Those worries are gone. We will see Jesus clearly because idols will be done away with. The application is this. This will be the greatest glory of heaven, to know God, to know Jesus more intimately and wonderfully than we could ever know him on earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.
Lord, we just thank you for the reality that you show us, Lord, what to look forward to. You show us that you love us so much that you've prepared a place for us. You say in your word, if it wasn't true, why would you say it? You said there's, there's many rooms in, in heaven for your people. And Lord, I look forward to the time where we'll be able to be around other believers, millions of people that love you, that, that, that their desire is to please you and to honor you. And we'll all be in one accord. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more sin. Or we can have true peace eternally forever. But as we still live on this planet, Lord, would you see it fit to gird us up in your strength, gird us up in your love and your wisdom. As you send us out, may we be wise, shrewd as serpents, but gentle as doves. Help us to carry out the cause of you in all that we do. May we bring honor and glory to your name. Father, we thank you and love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.